right around Japan, you have you know China, India, Indonesia. You've got almost three billion people who are looking for ways to grow, you know, grow economically rapidly without choking on pollution. And what better country to, than Japan to basically commercialize and develop renewable energies? Japan just has to have the political will to do that. You know, Prime Minister Suga talked about going carbon neutral by 2050. How about 2030? Let's raise our our ambitions a bit. Japan is well positioned. To drive this energy revolution in Asia, it just has to have political will to do it. Okay, William, thank you very much. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Uh, in the markets in Australia, the SX200 is flat now, but Japanese shares are surging ahead once again, up 1.2 percent. Indicate uh, the, the Hang Seng here in Hong Kong uh, is set for a rally of about a quarter of a percent at the open, according to the futures markets. Uh, Brent crude oil slightly firmer, seventy-two dollars thirty-three cents a barrel. And Brent crude oil right now is trading at $1,826 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Jim Gould and Ada Wong coming up in just a moment. The weather forecast, hot with sunny periods and isolated showers. Maximum temperature of about 32 degrees. The outlook is for it to be very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. More showers and windier during the weekend. The temperature right now is 29 degrees and it's 80% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half with a half hour news. Here's Barry O'Rourke. The Security Bureau has accused Next Digital, the publisher of the now-defunct Apple Daily newspaper, of trying to shift its responsibility and smearing the national security law. Robert Kemp reports. In a statement, the Bureau attacked the company for a stock exchange filing it made on Sunday. The filing, which announced that its four board members were stepping down, also said it had been unable to pay staff and business expenses as its accounts had been frozen. The Bureau dismissed Next claim, saying the company had said it had enough working capital for 18 months. It also said that Next had announced in July that it had made an early loan repayment of $150 million to its former chairman and major shareholder, Jimmy Lai. Health authorities have completed their compulsory COVID testing exercise at a residential block in Lohas Park in Chungkwano. In a statement, the government said as of 1am, around 1,340 residents had been tested and no confirmed cases had been found. The block had been sealed off as a precaution at about 7pm yesterday. The lockdown was sparked by a 42-year-old woman testing preliminary positive for the coronavirus. The Taliban say they've completed their military conquest of Afghanistan by seizing the province of Panjir, a focal point for resistance. The BBC's Lise Doucette reports. The white flag of the Taliban now flies in the centre of the scenic Panjir Valley. After days of intense fighting and failed negotiations, the Taliban say they've seized the last pocket of armed opposition to their rule. We captured Panjshir with the will of God, Taliban spokesman Zabiullah Mujahed told a news conference in Kabul. He said those who still want to fight are welcome to remain in Afghanistan, their home, as long as they stop fueling instability. That was clearly a reference to Ahmed Massoud, the 32-year-old commander of what's known as the resistance. But today, on his Facebook page, he vowed to fight on. One of the biggest stars of French cinema, the actor Jean-Paul Belmondo, has died at the age of 88. Nicknamed Bebel in France, he shot to fame in Jean-Luc Godard's revolutionary classic Breathless. He went on to make 80 films with some of the greatest directors of European cinema, including Claude Lelouch.
Tous les messages de Jean-Paul étaient des messages de joie. All of Jean-Paul's messages were messages of joy. He had a smile that deserved all the talk on earth, and it's true that when we filmed with him, he managed to break all the cliches. Every time I said cut, I said thank you, because he had given me lots of gifts. He loved life and knew how to make those who watched his films love it. The American actor Michael K. Williams, best known for his role in the long-running television police series The Wire, has been found dead at his home in Brooklyn. He was 54. Williams won praise for his role as the criminal Omar Little in The Wire, as well as for Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire. No official cause of death has been given, but several US media outlets have quoted law enforcement sources as saying they suspect a drug overdose. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's Back Chat, uh, COVID-19 updates and the welfare of our wild boars. So the World Health Organization has listed the COVID-19 mu variant as one of five variants of interest, with uh, Hong Kong authorities saying the territory has recorded three imported cases so far. In a weekly report on COVID-19, the World Health Organization said the mu variant had a number of mutations, suggesting it could be more resistant to vaccines, but it stressed that further research was still needed. What do we know about the mu variant? How concerned should we be? Meanwhile, how are we doing with the vaccination rate. After 9.15, we're discussing the welfare of uh, our wild boars after African swine fever was detected in the carcass of an animal found on Hong Kong Island. You can let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at uh, backchat at rthk.hk. Um, joining us this morning, we have uh, Professor Malik Pieris, uh, Chair of Virology at Hong Kong University School of Public Health, and also Dr David Lam, Chairman of the Healthcare Professionals Group, Medical Conscience. Um, and uh, we're hoping to be joined also by um, another healthcare expert, uh, Dr. Henry Young. Um, we'll confirm a little bit later if we've been able to uh, contact him. But first of all, um, oh, I I'm sorry, Henry Young should be after nine o'clock actually. So for the time being, perhaps if we could start with you, uh, Professor Pieris, um, um, could you tell us a little bit more about this uh, mu variant? Uh, good morning. Yeah, so this is the most uh, recent variant that has been designated by WHO as a variant of interest. Now, um, remember that there are two levels that the WHO designates. The variants of concern mm. <clears throat> are the ones that are, um, um, that are much more uh, worrisome, uh, and those at the moment that includes uh, alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. Variants of interest are new variants that emerge in different parts of the world, which um, uh, after consideration, it is decided that um, the world should uh, keep track of. So mu is one of these, but at the moment, it is predominantly in South America, mainly in Colombia, and uh, in a few other South American countries. Um, it is not, um, does not seem to have the capacity to... Uh, if you like, outcompete Delta, which is the major virus that is established in many parts of the world. Um, so at the moment, 
it is, uh, as I can see, not likely to become dominant anytime soon. But I think the concern is that it has some capacity to evade vaccine immunity. You mean it could be uh, less transmissible than the Delta variant? It, that is what it appears. So in, in, in countries uh, in Latin America where both Delta and Mu are co-circulating, Delta is, is winning out, meaning it's squeezing out uh, Mu. In mm. Colombia it is increasing, but uh, in Colombia Delta is only just beginning to, to, to get in. So uh, if you like, if you want to look at it that way, Delta is... Uh, uh, maybe doing it a good turn. Uh, that, that's the wrong way to put it, I'm sure. But, uh, but you have to keep in mind that these variants are also competing amongst each other and competing primarily on transmissibility. Mm. And you, you mentioned it may be more resistant to vaccines. So w w what is the evidence for that? That is uh, still very preliminary. It is based on some of the mutations that the virus has. The laboratory evidence for that is still pending, so I think uh, we we have to um, we have to confirm that. But on the basis of the mutations that are seen, there is a um, uh, there is a suggestion that it may be able to resist partially resist uh, some of the um, uh, vac I mean uh, vaccine immunity. But but keep in mind that there were other variants, indeed variants of concern that were able to evade vaccine immunity even more. And the beta variant uh, in from South Africa, the gamma variant from South America. Now, all of those basically have uh, largely died out in the face of the Delta variant. So just because you do have a variant of interest doesn't mean that that is going to become a major problem. But of course, you know, it's something we have to keep track of. Um, so, uh, Professor Perez, I read that um, you know this mu variant uh, emerged um, as early as January this year in South America. Uh, so it has recently travelled to uh, Asia, and uh, in particular, there were like two to three cases, um, you know, of uh, people returning from South America who who caught the virus. What what, what does that mean to you? Do do you think this could pose a threat, um, you know, to Hong Kong? Um, yes, I mean, of course, Hong Kong or any globally interconnected city is going to receive um, these diverse variants from all over the world. Uh, but uh, that does not necessarily mean that it is uh, the, the major threat that Hong Kong faces per se. Uh, and of course, uh, we do have a pretty stringent um, um, testing, quarantine, surveillance system uh, in Hong Kong. So, um, uh, you know, I come back to the point that I, I, I think new variant is one of the things that we need to keep track of, but it is not the, the only or the most important uh, threat they, that we have to um, keep track of. Okay, uh, uh, David Lamb, good morning to you. Yes, yeah, good morning. Would, would you go along with that, with what, uh, what Professor Paris was saying? Oh, definitely. Um, if you look at the data worldwide, the two variants, the Delta and the Mu, they appeared more or less the same time. Delta was first reported like December last year, and the Mu probably in January this year. Uh, and if you look at it that way, the Delta is the main threat. 
it's outcompeted all other strains and has become the dominant strain in many parts of the world, like India, the USA. In USA, I think in new cases are over 98% Delta. Uh, the meal, while they appear at almost the same time, has not taken a major fraction of new cases. So uh, yes, it's a variant of interest, but apparently it's not yet uh, the threat that we are facing so soon. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in the case of Israel, um, Dr. Lam. I don't know whether you ah. have any uh, data on that. Uh, you know, Israel, uh, most Israelis have been vaccinated, as far as I understand. But then, you know, yeah. they, they now have really uh, a, new, a new wave of cases. Uh, is it all Delta or other variants? I'm not sure about what strain is that. But you do see a new wave in the States, in the UK, in Israel. Uh, despite a very good fraction, a good percentage of vaccination. Um, it can mean that uh, the vaccine is less uh, protective against the new variant. And actually, the data turns out, like for, de for Delta, uh, the vaccines, if you talk about the messaging RNA vaccine, the efficacy fell from like nine, over 90% to somewhere around 85 88%. So there's a difference there. That's one thing. And another thing is that we notice that the Delta virus is affecting the younger population, or maybe just because they are not vaccinated. But it's also possible that the virus is a little bit different, that we, we're not sure for the time being. Um, but if you look at the figures again, Israel has a population of 9 million something, and Hong Kong is... 8 million, so not very much different. Although Israel has a landmass 20 times that of Hong Kong. And at our worst here in Hong Kong, we probably have just over 100 cases a day for a few days. And, and for Israel, the number are many times higher. And even after the population-wide vaccination, the best time was at a double-digit level of new cases daily. So. We have been doing a very good job despite our relatively low pickup rate of the vaccines here. Talking about Israel, of course, it was uh, one of the first countries to have a, a widespread successful vaccination program and then to open up. But that was quite a few months ago now. So, no. I mean, is there some concern that, uh, you know, the effectiveness of the vaccine is starting to wear off now that we're seeing, you know, lots of more new cases in Israel? Yes. Before they 
actually can enter our yes. community. Mm -hmm. um, so border control. Another aspect will be widespread testing of suspected individuals, uh, whether they have symptoms or by virtue of their contact. That is to pick up virtually all the cases possible, to isolate, treat them, and prevent them from transmitting the disease around any community. Mm -hmm. But that is, um, you know, uh, yeah. uh, that that is also worrying. Um, I, I mean, yeah. that, uh, maybe Professor Paris and also Dr. Lam, you can address. Uh, yes, we do have a lot of testing, contact tracing, and inbound restrictions. But this is not going to be sustainable in the long term, and that is why uh, countries like Singapore and the bigger countries um, they decided to open up because uh, the business community is also screaming, the tourism sector is also screaming. So I understand that my friends in the UK in Europe, and um, they have been having holidays in Greece and also in Italy. But then, you know, the um, outcome is that there are now many, many more cases. So, so what could happen to Hong Kong? Now, at the moment, we are completely closed. We're very stringent, uh, very stringent quarantine measures. Um, is that going to last? Dr. Uh, Paris or Dr. Yeah, Paris first? Professor. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Professor first. Professor Paris? Uh, yes. So, just to uh, just to mention uh, regarding your previous question, in Israel the, the variant is still Delta. So the issue there is not a it's not a new variant. Uh, it is uh, it is other things. Uh, right. So, in regard to your current question, I think the um, for the moment, yes, we do have to maintain these stringent measures. But I think if you just think longer term. Uh, you have to keep in mind some very basic biological facts. Uh, this virus, particularly the Delta virus, is the most transmissible respiratory virus that we know in humans, with the exception of measles, which is not a typical respiratory disease. But in terms of respiratory diseases, Delta is by far the most efficiently transmissible virus. It is four times more transmissible than influenza, for example. <clears throat> now, to imagine that we can keep Delta out of any country indefinitely is, is completely uh, implausible. So, at some time, we are going to have to um, face this. So, I think what is important is to communicate to the population in Hong Kong, particularly those who are not vaccinated, that it is an illusion to imagine that indefinitely we um, can, uh, you know, protect the, the population of Hong Kong from exposure to this, um, uh, or for that matter, any country from exposure to this. Uh, whether it be two years' time, three years' time, I would guess almost everybody uh, everywhere in the world would have faced this virus. So the thing to do is to get vaccinated and, and protected, uh, because, I mean, you cannot... Uh, it is now in our hands to get uh, protected. And indeed, there is evidence that even those who are vaccinated may get uh, infected. But the evidence is that even against all these variants, the vaccines do provide very significant protection from severe disease. And if you are vaccinated and you do get infected, that is not the end of the world. Because indeed, that will provide you probably with a much broader range protection, including from reinfection. So 
I think um, we have to think about this in a in a more holistic and a long term way. Uh, this does not mean that we abandon our zero uh, COVID policy tomorrow or day after or even next month or, or three months down the line. But I think we have to educate our population that one way or the other, whether it is uh, through, I mean, just like in New Zealand, like in Australia, uh, you know, even if you do try to maintain zero COVID, such an infectious virus is going to get in. Um, or just out of pragmatic um, operational purposes, uh, you know, uh, we will have to live with this. I mean, there is no question three years down the line, we have to live with it. We cannot keep uh, these, um, uh, we cannot keep such an infectious virus out indefinitely. Um, um, and what about the prospect of uh, booster shots? Yes, so we, uh, well, I mean, it is looking likely that, uh, you know, in due course, uh, we will need booster shots uh, for different vaccines for different purposes. Uh, but I think um, at the moment, the primary issue for Hong Kong is, is really to get the, uh, you know, the population, particularly the most vulnerable segments of the population, uh, fully vaccinated. And, and that is what is very uh, um, concerning at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Dr. Lam, you, you mentioned earlier right. about um, uh, that the, the you know, the incidence of common cold had been um, much less because people are wearing masks and so on. Um, um, uh, uh, how about flu? Because, um, you know, we're heading into the cooler months uh, before long, um, uh, which is usually the, the, the season where there are more cases of uh, influenza. I mean, um, w would you still recommend that people get their flu shots? Oh, definitely. Yes. Hmm. Yes. And, uh, and is, it has been proven is, to be useful. It has been proven to be useful. I think it's always a. You, you don't just rely on one thing, right? You don't. You don't always wear your face mask. You don't wear it at home. You don't wear it, say, when you're having dinner. So having flu vaccination is another level of protection, and it's been proven useful worldwide. Now, if you talk about the flu, every year except for the past two years, Hong Kong sees like over 100 deaths per year from flu. Yes. Severe influenza viruses. Sorry, how many? We, ha, ha, just, just give us that figure again. How, how many did you say? Over one hundred. Over one hundred. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we we will not close our borders because of that, because we have been living with this for many years. Now, the question about the current pandemic is whether it will die off completely, like SARS in two thousand and three, or it will persist as a, a disease that that comes every year, like influenza. It appears to me that it's more likely to come back now and then. So if it is not possible to stamp it out completely, then there has to be some way to live with it. Uh, again, it's an interplay between a virus, our human behavior, and science. Uh, vaccine is by far the most promising way to reduce infection and also reduce the severity of diseases even if we get it and social distancing measures and hygienic measures well may or may not be uh, face masks for the rest of our lives but that's something we have to think about um, and viruses they mutate uh, if you look at the flu the flu virus it mutates all the time as well and at some stage the more successful viruses they are more transmissible 
find they are less fatal to the host, that is human being. Mm. So at some stage, maybe, yes, we can talk about reopening up and live with the virus. But today, when we are still seeing uh, roughly one in 20 severe cases for those who are infected and the dramatic need for ICU in places where cases are, I mean, when outbreak are rampant, I don't think this is the right time to reopen up again. Mm. Not so soon. Yeah, I mean, obviously safety comes first, but uh, face masks for the rest of our lives, that's a bit of a sad prospect. <laughs> and also half-day school. Um, Dr. Lam, uh, you know, children under 12, um, they need not be vaccinated. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, all governments are saying that. Uh, but it also means that, um, uh, you know, now we, we only have half-day school for the primary school, and, and that has, um, you know, that has had an impact on the learning of these children. Yes. So, uh, so it does have a lot of impact on, on learning for children. Uh, but that vaccination for kids, uh, now it's down to 12 year old. And if you look at data from the mainland China, uh, we have data that uh, at least the, the um, inactivated vaccine is safe for children down to three year old. So data are coming out and we have to keep an open mind on the age and I'm quite optimistic we can still further go down the age limit for vaccinating our population but that takes a little time. Okay, um, I have a, an email here from uh, listener um, Alonzo uh, with some questions. Perhaps we could put these uh, questions to both of our uh, expert guests. Uh, uh, says uh, the daily vaccination rate in Hong Kong for first jabs has plummeted in recent days. Yesterday's total of just 15,421 is the lowest number since May and compares with a recent high of close to 40,000. So uh, questions for your panel. One, can uh, Hong Kong government and or private sector companies force people to get jabbed? Are all people in the medical sector, doctors, nurses, etc., required to be vaccinated? What is the law in Hong Kong about mandating people to be vaccinated? And two, in the absence of vaccine mandates, how are we going to arrest the worrying decline in, daily, in the daily vaccination rate? Uh, OK, uh, uh, Professor Pires, could we ask you first? Yes, I mean, I think um, uh, we should we should try to educate, encourage, and also facilitate uh, vaccine uptake. Uh, you know, before we go to mandating, uh, and I think particularly in regards to the um, the older population, I mean, I wonder whether we can do more taking the vaccine to them rather than uh, expecting them to come to uh, to vaccination centres. Okay, there are these so think, uh, uh, outreach services going on at the moment, aren't they, which have, I believe, have been extended to all the 18 districts. Yeah, so I think we should we should try that first. But, uh, I mean, mandating for certain populations, we may have to consider, I mean, you know, for healthcare workers, for example, there are a number of countries that have used that type of uh, approach as well. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Dr. Lam, uh, uh, a lot of people yeah. would be quite surprised uh, uh, to know that um, uh, uh, th there are still quite a large number of uh, healthcare workers who haven't been vaccinated, aren't there? Hmm. Um, well, doctors, the rate of doctors, I mean, vaccinated rate of doctors is quite high, it's close to 90% now. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other healthcare professionals uh, whereby the vaccination rate still has to improve a lot, I believe. 
Yes, I think as healthcare professionals, we are working in an environment where we contact people who are more susceptible to infection by virtue of their chronic illnesses. So it is quite important that we do whatever measures we can to protect not only ourselves, but also our patients. And uh, therefore, I believe that doctors and nurses and all healthcare professionals should get vaccinated as soon as possible. Whether you mandate them is quite a different issue. Uh, for people who are working in wards where they have um, like frail individuals, I believe that would be the way, the way to go. If you don't get vaccinated, you may uh, expect to be transferred to other places to work. Um, at least for, for people who are more susceptible, the personnel who take care of them, who are taking care of them should get vaccinated. Uh, and if you look at any mass movement, it follows what we call a sigmoid curve. So the initial pickup rate may be low, and then it gets the momentum. And towards the top of it, it flattens again. So in Hong Kong, I guess we are towards the top of the vaccination curve. So it's flattening, flattening up a little. Uh, I agree with the government that doing outreach programs is useful, as there are always people who are not so eager. Uh, well, many of these people, they are elderly or they have busy people. They, many of them are not uh, totally against vaccination, but they're just not eager. Okay. It's just like when you have a new soft drink and you promote it, some people will go to your outlet and get it, but then there are some people who are not so eager then you need, a, you need a little push. Like if you are there and they are there, you just give it to them and say, why not try it? Okay. And they're okay, okay why not? Okay. Just well, take it. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, uh, we're going to have to take a break there because we've got the new summary coming up. Thank you very much to uh, Dr. David Lamb, Chairman of the Healthcare Professionals Group Medical Conscience, and also to Professor Malik Pires, Chair of Virology at Hong Kong University School of Public Health. Uh, the weather, it's 30 degrees at the moment, humidity 78%. Stay with us. We'll be back at three minutes past. Activist Alexei Navalny's smart voting mobile phone app. It said Mr Navalny's organisation has been designated as extremist. The app gave advice on tactical voting. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, COVID-19, the mu variant, uh, the vaccination rate and other issues. Um, um, we're joined, I think, now by... Uh, uh, on the line by Dr. Henry Young, who's a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. Um, uh, Dr. Young, uh, good morning to you. Um, good morning. Um, um, morning. Just, before, just before we come to you, um, I've got a few emails from listeners here to read out, yeah. so please uh, uh, bear with us. Um, this one from Mark. Uh, I'm going to have to turn this round slightly to make it work, because Mark's actually writing about the situation in Singapore. It says, uh, uh, the government has done its best to protect citizens by providing free vaccination to all. It can add to this with booster shots if these prove beneficial and necessary. The government has announced plans to provide booster shots for everyone 60 years and older. While experts are not convinced about the benefits of a third shot for those who are not immunocompromised, it remains a valid option for people who may be at higher risk. Beyond this, there is not really very much more that can be done. COVID-19 is here to stay and we need to learn to live with it. 
It's time to let the vaccine do its job. There has uh, been uh, outstanding effort vaccinating above 90% of the eligible population. We did this so that we would be safe to open up. Caution is good, but we can open up faster and allow people to socialise and travel again. This is also critical to the economy. Locking up the country has never been a long-term solution. It has cost thousands of people their livelihood and low social interaction has taken its toll on the mental health of many people. Further delays in reverting to life as normal serve little purpose. More important is to decide what the new normal needs to be. This is actually Singapore Today uh, from Mark. Uh, Christopher says, uh, uh, we are talking about Israel before the break as well. Uh, uh, Israel population breakdown over 27% are age 14 or under versus Hong Kong 12%. Uh, many, uh, many case in that age group getting infected with no symptoms, serious illness in the older population still very low due to vaccination. David says it has gone all very quiet on how the COVID virus is transmitted. Does it spray? Does it stay on vegetables? Does it easily come off my fingers and onto fruit? Is it only contracted through my nose? Is it contracted through cuts on my skin? Tell me more. Fill us in with the, uh, any new details that have been found. How long does it stay alive? Am I reducing my probability of catching it with vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin D? When can we buy... Invermectin off the shelf. When can we buy the nose sprays? We 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 are all being treated like mushrooms. That's, uh uh, from David. Uh, uh, this one, uh, Karen says, Dear Backchat, the only thing we want to know about COVID is when can we open up? When can we do a science-based quarantine or even quarantine from home? Not the ridiculous and COVID spreading three weeks in COVID-infected hotels. When will we get out of this situation? What is the plan for getting us back to opening up? Asia's walled city is becoming very stifling. That from Karen. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Henry Young, yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. So, uh, first of all, we were talking about before the break about the uh, uh, mu yeah. variant. Um, 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 the mu, the yeah, mu variant. Yeah. What do you, what do you, well, uh, is this? Uh, well, the, the World Health Organization has classed it uh, as a variant of interest. Uh, yep. So it's keeping an eye on it. Um, is yeah. it something that we should be particularly concerned about? I think uh, as long as uh, the Hong Kong government is taking the strategy of zero tolerance. Uh, I think the measures would be against all sorts of variants of uh, even concern or interest. The, uh, the Alpha, Beta, uh, Gamma, Delta. Even the Delta, Delta variant has been in Hong Kong. It, it doesn't cause any uh, spread, uh, widespread in the community. I think the real one, this this one, uh, is less contagious and will not be concerned for us in this Hong Kong community if the government is still insisting on the zero tolerance. Uh, strategy mm. because uh, they will be involved a lot of uh, isolation measures and quarantine and so on. Yeah, you, you know, there are a lot of measures to ban people fighting uh, with this uh, variants mm. to Hong Kong, yeah. and there's the uh, strongest measures we have taken. So, uh, so, so long. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Yang, you agree with this uh, zero tolerance uh, um, strategy? Um. Uh, as long as the community has uh, not enough protection. What I mean is that if uh, there's less uh, percentage of people who have antibodies inside uh, the bodies that we should have used zero tolerance to this, uh, uh, COVID-19, because uh, if there's a spread of COVID-19, that will be a heavy load to the uh, health system, and that will be uh, that will be uh, that will 
bring to us uh, sensitive to have system, there will be a danger to the community at the end of the day. As long as we have enough protection in the in the in the in the Hong Kong community, say we have uh, uh, 80 to 90 percent of people who have antibodies inside their bodies, then we can uh, lessen the uh, stringent measures, uh, the social distancing, and so on, and uh, we can even lessen for the. We're still quite a long way from that, aren't we, uh, Dr. Young? Um, um, 80 to 90 uh, percent protection. We, um, I, I think, uh, the latest. I mean, I mean, the latest that rates, depends on the cooperation of the citizens. Well, exa- exactly, if, exactly. If, if the citizens don't realize this is a, is a great concern to them, so it's a great advantage for them to take the vaccine. That that, that we can we can we can we can even uh, get better better position than Israel. Then. But we've only got about 63% of the population had their first shot yeah. so far. Um, yeah. How are we going to improve that rate? Yeah, I think uh, the government has uh, implemented measures by uh, way of uh, this and that, by way of penalty. Or if, if you are not <laughs> taking the vaccine, you have to pay for the for the uh, for the uh, for the uh, you know the, for the for the. Uh, for the tests uh, for those uh, who are uh, working or even in the schools, and uh, in the in the last two months, there are people coming to the clinics, the centres for vaccination, and the rise is still there. I think uh, the people is become aware of that there are a lot of this for them to take the vaccine nowadays. They have to take the uh, the, the, the reasons are that they have to, to get over the jobs, and secondly, they have to get over to to have uh, more um, activities in the and also some of the elderly they want to go across the border to, to, to visit their relatives in the law, you know. And there are a lot of us, uh, reasons for them to take the objection nowadays. Yeah. Well, I understand that there are now outreach um, centres, but still, uh, if I look at the figures, I think the middle-aged, the, the, even the younger people, um, a lot of them are now getting vaccinated, and the lowest group is actually those who are old. Um, about 75, above, above 80, um, I think as low as 20 to 30 percent. Uh, is it because they are worried um, about the side effects uh, of the vaccine or maybe they're too frail um, to even get out? Um, how, think, how could we reach them? In the beginning of, the, of this uh, campaign, the elderly uh, are people. People are uh, afraid of the, of the side effects of the vaccines. After being be wanted by the by the by the uh, siblings, you know, and nowadays the siblings, you know, the the the, the sons and daughters are uh, getting getting vaccine already, and they they they, they, they urge the elderly to get a vaccine, even still. But what worries that the elderly in the old old age homes that they're really concerned because uh, the the uh, uh, the less of a less of urge for them to get the vaccine because uh, the, those who, uh, who, have, uh, who have been doing in the OH homes, even those uh, uh, healthcare workers, they have not got 100% vaccinated. And for the elderly there, there are only up to 10% of them uh, willing to get the vaccine after being, being told by their relatives and uh, uh, by the sons and daughters. And they're not willing to give consent to the doctors within the medical office get their jacks, you know, in the elderly home. I, I think the government has to do uh, more measures to, uh, to, to, to in this area to, to, to get those uh, uh, elderly to get vaccinated to protect 
them from this uh, COVID-19. Yeah. Um, this is uh, the important job that the government should do nowadays. We heard in the news that uh, agreements have been reached uh, to allow uh, Hong Kong people to come back from uh, five more places if they've been vaccinated overseas. Uh, those places are India, Malaysia, Pakistan, Thailand and South Korea. Um, um, do, do you, I mean, obviously, that's, that's good for those people to be able to come home. Um, but uh, um, do you think this is a, a sensible policy? Uh, it's uh, because uh, they're coming back home that's, uh, for the, for the uh, reasons of humanity. I think that's, that's a good policy. But we have to make sure they're not infected. Yeah. You know, that they're, they're, uh, the government should insist on the isolation measures, quarantine measures. At least they have to stay in the hotels, the isolation of quarantine. That's why it's 21 days mm. before they are being uh, allowed to move mm. free in the community to, mm. to make sure that they are clean, you know, from the virus. So that we, the Hong Kong will not be infected uh, from these areas. Um, Dr. Young, I've heard from friends who have done the 21-day quarantine and uh, they say that it is actually um, very, very difficult uh, for anybody to be shut up in a small hotel room for 21 days. And there has been um, suggestions that uh, we can quarantine at home or we can do regular tests uh, like almost every day. Uh, could there be alternatives? I think the alternative, alternative is dangerous, you know, and, uh, Many people will, 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 will get that. They will think that when they get get home, because they, especially when the home is small, you know, they have to go go out sometimes. And uh, I I don't think that's a good measure to to allow them to get it to their home quarantine. Uh, I I I agree with you that with the seven days isolation, some people will get uh, very anxious and even get, uh, psychological illness. That we have seen people coming to our clinics that that uh, uh, look for uh, help after the isolation and this, uh, this is a problem for those uh, who have been isolated in the uh, isolation hotels for such a long period. Uh, I think the people, uh, I think the government should, should, should set up uh, uh, some sort of uh, task force to look into these people, uh, psychological problems after being, being isolated in the, in the 21 days uh, hotel, you know, uh, they, they, you, you, you can imagine when they when they when they when they travel to to other areas, they get isolation for 21 days and come back to Hong Kong 21 days. There's already more than 40 days of isolation in a single room. There's a very a psychological stress to these people. I think that the government should set up task force after after these people as well as their uh, Hong Kong citizens. Mm. Uh, do you think 21 days is a, a reasonable time for uh, quarantine for people coming from uh, high risk places? I think so far, uh, this, from the characteristics of the COVID-19 experience, I think that this is a reasonable uh, duration that, that we can uh, offer. You know, it's too long and there's uh, too much and uh, too much uh, stress to these people. And it's too short, you will, you will, you will not be uh, good for the community, especially in some, the incubation period of this uh, COVID-19, maybe up to 21 days, or even more some, it's a very, very rare cases with Dr. Yang, um, one last question uh, from me. How do you, how long do you think this could go on? Uh, I mean, when when we look <laughs> at um, you know other places, they yeah other places they are opening up. They try to learn with it. I do hope that you end uh, uh, next year. Yeah, 
next year by uh, by uh, yes, by our opening up people, or living with it? You know, well can get all the antibodies in the body in the in the bodies that that is okay. Then we can live with the uh, virus. Then. So we we can live with the virus by next year, and we don't have to yeah. uh, be quarantined when we come back yeah. from our holidays, <laughs> right? All, we have all the I think I think that's the wish yeah. of so many yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. I think we need the cooperation of all the people in in Hong Kong and all the in the, in the world. Okay, well, thanks very much for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, Dr. Henry Young there, who's a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. And uh, we're going to turn now to uh, our second uh, topic uh, of the morning, and that is the uh, welfare of our wild boar population. Uh, this after um, the African swine fever was detected in the carcass of a wild fig pig uh, found um, in Suisaiwan. Cape Collinson on Hong Kong Island. Uh, uh, African swine fever, of course, being uh, uh, very, very uh, virulent uh, in wild pigs, um, not harmful to humans, uh, we should uh, uh, add. Um, but we're going to talk now to um, Dirk Pfeiffer, who's the uh, Chow Tak Fung Chair Professor of One Health at City University's Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences. Um, good morning, uh, Professor Pfeiffer. Uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good. So, um, so yeah, so African swine fever was detected in this pig carcass. Um, what does that mean for the wild pig uh, population at large? I mean, it's difficult to say at this stage. I mean, it's something that, uh, um, based on experience in other parts of the world, we've actually expected to happen sooner or later, given that the virus is uh, uh, in domestic pigs in, in various places. And, and you know, the, the, the main, or one of the main transmission mechanisms is actually through uh, contaminated meat, uh, food waste. So wherever people feed food waste or pigs have access, wild pigs have access to food waste, that's where transmission can, can happen because the virus survives so well in that kind of uh, material, which is not that common with uh, infectious disease, luckily, but mm. this one is a very resilient virus. Because mm. we know that if it gets into a, a domestic flocks, it can, you know, wipe them, the herds rather, not domestic, uh, it can wipe them all out, can't it? But, it can. Uh, I mean, it's got, I mean, although we've we've seen different presentations these days, uh, um, some of them are very severe, high mortality. In other cases, where it it didn't do that. But it the the tricky thing is really it is so hard. I, mean, I often say that people compare it to COVID. COVID is a relative is another not a very resilient virus, whereas this one is a big virus, very strong. It can survive in the environment and in different types of materials. It's much slower. Okay. So it takes its time um, until it actually hits, and then it's very difficult to um, eradicate. And it's particularly hard in wild animal populations because we don't know exactly where every pig is, you know, and we don't know the history in terms of context between the uh, the individual pigs. Um, so, um, uh, on on this African swine fever, um, is it? Uh 
Is it transmissible to human? Or I've heard no, no, of no, no, swine no, no, flu and no, 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 no. I mean, it's a good, very good point. I mean, because it's it, it's, it's different, right? Swine fever, African swine fever, right? So, well, there was, was a time when quite often. I mean, not, it wasn't uncommon to see in the newspapers refer, that referred to swine flu. That's not what it is. Not an influenza virus. It's a completely different virus, and it is one where I would kind of said say in my lifetime. It is not going to change to something that could infect humans. In fact, it's very much restricted, you know, to, to pigs um, and whether they're wild species or the domestic pig species. So that's arguably one benefit. <laughs> it's got lots of negatives, more negatives um, than, than positives. But one, one positive is that it is, is actually very species-specific. A big negative is that we haven't got ways of treating uh, or vaccinating. And uh, people around the world have been trying to come up with vaccines um, and have failed so far. There's a little bit of hope here and there, but I'm sceptical. So w one question my friend was pondering the other day, um, how would a wild pig on Hong Kong Island uh, come to be infected with African swine fever? Yeah. Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? Really? I mean, I don't. Know. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm certain it's not because of contact with domestic pigs. Okay, um, if that might have been different, if it would have happened, say, in the new territories. No, no. I mean, this, in my view, can only have been access to food waste, meaning people maybe feeding pigs. Okay, with waste from home. Um, or I don't know why, why, why rubbish bins, etc. Um, uh, so, so that's the only. I mean, at this stage, the only plausible mm. explanation. And mm. mm. um, um, would you expect that uh, that it will now spread among the wild population? Yeah, I mean, and this is, you know, like same with human diseases. You see, if population density is high, transmission of diseases um, um, will, it's just so much more effective. And we have lots of wild pigs, and therefore it is, I'd be surprised if it was to disappear. And, you know, the thing is a bit like with you, you had this just uh, this chat about 21 days <laughs> quarantine. Incubation period is so important, you know. You, the, you get infected, the pig gets infected, and by the time we see something, i.e. a dead pig, the virus has actually already moved to other pigs um, uh, and infected them. So... This needs to be monitored. We don't know, but I, I would predict that there will be more pigs that uh, will die from the disease. Um, and we just need to make sure that if it does spread further amongst the pigs on Hong Kong Island, that it doesn't get across to the other parts of Hong Kong. Right. As they are. Um, on, on wild boars... Uh you know, I'm I'm um, I'm a hiker, a very slow one. Uh, I I have seen uh, wild boars almost every time. You know, mm. I walk along the Aberdeen yeah. Reservoir and uh, many many hiking trails. Uh, you know, some of the bigger ones, some some are like babies. Um, there are now many more wild boars um, yeah. on Hong Kong Island, and one has been seen uh, even on the um, on the platform of the Wong Chuk Ham MTR. You know, as I have seen photos uh, being shared. Um, there, do you, have you noticed that um, there has been um, you know many more wild boars in recent yeah, yeah. years? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm put it this way: I, I know it through the media, but they've also been. Um uh, produced population as government has produced population estimates and the numbers have gone up tremendously and that is partly because also we feed them they, they're very smart animals pigs are very smart animals they, they know how to adapt to human habitats 
um, by accessing f- food waste, in particular rubbish bins, etc. Oh, yes, they do zoom to the rubbish bins, and I have seen them, you know, pushing <laughs> the rubbish bins down uh, sideways so that they can search what's uh, inside exactly. and grab exactly. the food. And So what, what can we do about it? Um, I mean, at this stage, I would just say, say we, I mean, I, this is always a, a tricky topic, you know, population control of wild pigs is something I think we probably need to think about. Um, it's not an easy topic. Um, it never is, whether it's uh, the, 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 the wild cattle we have or, or the, the wild pigs, but it's something we have, to, we, have, we have to do something about. Now, with respect to African swine fever, I mean, it's, what is important now is that the public reports any dead wild pigs that they see and that they then uh, are being examined for the presence of the virus. So at this stage, just let's keep our eyes open and look out for uh, um, dead pigs. And definitely don't feed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the, the regular message, isn't it, to the public? Yeah. Pu- public should not feed them. But as um, you said, they are smart and they will yeah, really zoom to the rubbish bin. Absolutely. And you can't ask people to not throw anything into the rubbish bin. No, no, you can't. No, no. But I mean, I guess we need to have uh, wild boar safe rubbish bins, which I think we have some in some places. No, I need. This is in the end it comes back to population controls. There are too many, really. There are too many, and it's a tough. It's a tough. I know, Vienna. I'm from Germany. You know, it's the same thing in Berlin. Big problem. Okay. Sim, very similar to the situation in Hong Kong, and they also have now African swine people moving across the border mm. in the wild boar population, mm-hmm. um, and it's a difficult topic, um, very difficult topic. And ideally, we'd like to have a vaccine, but I mean, obviously, that doesn't help with the population control, but at least controls the disease. Um, yeah, but what uh, could be some of the measures and options available to government, for example, if they want to have population control of wild boars? I mean, you just have to uh, um, affect the reproductive capacity of the, um, so that, like we do also with, with, with dogs and cats, you know, um, so that you can use drugs, treatments to do that. Uh, um, I mean, it, and it's never very popular with the public, unfortunately. Um, um, but I don't see an alternative. Because there's no, you know, usually the balance is between predator and prey, but there's no predator for, mm. for the wild boar, okay? Pi- um, Other than the car running them over, there's yeah. nothing. Um, uh, B- Burmese pythons? Yeah, they'll, they'll, maybe. They'll, 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 they'll grab the piglets, don't they? <laughs> maybe, you know, but usually they have the population permit. It means there will be more Burmese pythons, and pythons yeah. because there's so many wild boar to feed on. So, yeah. <laughs> But although, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kidding here. I mean, I, it's... But the reality is there's just nothing that can actually prevent... As long as they have access to feed, they will continue and sufficient feed by rubbish and other... And it's probably more rubbish. Uh, okay. And they will continue to increase in population density because there is nothing that actually stops them from doing that. There's no predator. There's okay. nothing to control them. So we need to think about how we do that, and that might have to be some intervention. Okay, stay, uh, uh, stay with us on that issue of uh, control of numbers. Uh, a couple of emails from listeners uh, from differing uh, viewpoints. Uh, Guy writes, in the 1960s and 70s, the police operated a professional boar hunting team based at the village patrol unit, which responded to complaints of crop damage by New Territories yeah. farmers. Yeah. As farming declined, the AFCD took over using volunteer hunters to man the team. Unfortunately, this team failed to operate 
operate safely and often fail to notify police or local authorities in advance or post bilingual warning notices of planned hunts as required by HAD. Complaints from villagers and NT residents poured in and their activities seem to have ceased. NGOs emphasise the need for feral animal-proof waste bins which are finally being introduced by the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department after requests since the 1970s in some NT locations. Wild boar numbers are undoubtedly increasing but culling is not the answer. In my experience they are harmless and add colour to our remaining natural environment. Perhaps the experts at Kaduri Farm have an answer on how best to manage them. And uh, Akil writes... um, Hi, back chat. Wanted to express my thoughts about the wild boars. It's quite unfortunate that they were found to be infected in Hong Kong, but we shouldn't take it entirely as negative news. Um, perhaps the new infection could help curb the overpopulation of the wild boars in Hong Kong in the wild. Over the past two years, I've personally seen a drastic increase in their numbers. My first encounter with them was at Shingmun Reservoir area, and I was shocked to see their numbers. What surprised me even more was that the locals actually fed them or left food regularly. Then I started seeing more and more of them. Uh, for example, I've personally seen them in Taimoshan Country Park, Kamshan Country Park, Kowloon Peak, Saikung Country Park and Wafu Estate area. So I believe the disease in the wild boars may be a blessing in disguise. I don't want them to completely vanish, though, just hoping their numbers would be curbed a bit. So, um, so yeah, Professor Pfeiffer, so w- would you expect that their numbers might decline a little bit I now? Mean, that, that, you know? You know, this is how nature works. Mm. It's the diseases that are another mechanism. It's like a predator, you know. They uh, are a, a mechanism of controlling population density. And, and that's definitely possible that it might have that effect. Um, uh, but, but it's, you know, it's early days. Let's just see what, what, what else is going to happen uh, uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and it's all, I mean, it comes back to... We just need to. We need to watch. We need to, and, and therefore, reporting of carcasses uh, will be very useful, very important. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Dirk Pfeiffer, who's Chow Tak Fung, Chair Professor of One Health at uh, City University's Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences. Um, thank you to our listeners. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Ada. Um, um, Thank you, see, Jim. See you, see you next time. Um, a quick look uh, at the weather before we go to the news uh, summary. Uh, it's going to be hot with sunny periods and isolated showers. Top temperature will be around 32 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. And moderate easterly winds. The outlook, very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. More showers and windier during the weekend. Currently, it's 30 degrees, humidity 76%. The Smart ID Card Replacement Exercise is for me and for you. If you hold the old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1977 to 1979, you must replace your ID card from September 20th to November 18th this year. You may bring two family members or friends age 65 or above and two persons with disabilities to replace ID cards together. Let's build a caring and inclusive society. Remember to book ahead. Now, the new summary with Vicky Wong. 
The United States says it's got four of its citizens out of Afghanistan in the first overland evacuation since the American airlift ended. The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is currently having talks in Qatar, which has played a pivotal role in facilitating the evacuation effort. The Taliban, meanwhile, say they're consolidating their control over the Panjshir Valley in the last Afghan province where they were still facing resistance. Facebook has launched an investigation after users who watched a newspaper video featuring black men were asked afterwards if they wanted to keep seeing videos about primates. Facebook told BBC News there'd been an unacceptable error by its artificial intelligence recommendation system. The company has apologised. And one of the biggest stars of French cinema, the actor Jean-Paul Belmondo, has died at the age of 88. Nicknamed Babel in France, he shot to fame in Jean-Luc Godard's revolutionary classic, Breathless. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring Doggy Council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. to you. Welcome to Tuesday here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. So after 10 today, it's extra Aussiness. Stays crunchy even in milk. Because Jared Watt's going to be with us, of course, with his news and tunes. And joining us live from Melbourne will be radio man, check out the voice, Nick Tripp from Triple R 102.7 FM in Ballarat, baby. He's going to bring you some of his favourite tracks and they will chew over the news from their hometowns. After 11 today, Dr. Merrin Pierce will be with us to talk about a rather fiddly type of recycling. That is... furniture recycling. He'll be joined by Cosmo Lowe, who's quite the expert in this field, especially when it comes to dealing with the office cast-offs. We see them all over town, don't we? Chairs and stuff. Biz futurist Morris Misalowski is busy redefining the future today, so he's going to be with me after 12 on Thursday. Join Merrin and Cosmo, if you can, after 11 on Facebook Live.